Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we're doing things a little different. I'm Jeff Braun. We're just past the halfway mark of 2022, so we're going to look at our favorite movies and TV shows of the year so far. And it's mostly going to be television, but there are a couple of movies that we did want to talk about. And all the movies we're going to talk about today are either sequels or reboots that no one really asked for and turned out to be delightful in their own ways. For starters, Downton Abbey, A New Era. You are cordially invited to the long-awaited return of Downton Abbey. It seems wonderfully romantic. I think I'm going to cry. That's life, isn't it? Getting past the unexpected. This May, A New Era. Three, two, one calls for a grand celebration. I have never seen anything like it. They better be warned that the British are coming. Do we drug you? <laughs> Downton Abbey, A New Era. Downton Abbey, the British TV show set in the early 1900s on a lavish rural estate showcasing the wealthy family that lived there and their servants, ran for six seasons on PBS. That was a movie a couple of years ago and then a second movie this year. This new movie doesn't have anything new to say or even have a whole lot of conflict, but Downton fans ate it up like the Snyder Cut of Justice League and Spider-Man No Way Home. Downton Abbey, a new era, was all about fan service and it delivered big time. Fan favorites like The Dowager and Mosley got really to cook and did they ever besides being very funny at times it was also quite moving a great capstone to the series if this is indeed the end the next movie we want to talk about is the runaway surprise hit movie of the year that we both loved as did many of you and of course we're talking about top gun maverick good morning aviators this is your captain speaking welcome to basic fighter maneuvers as briefed, today's exercise is dogfighting. Guns only, no missiles. We do not go below the hard deck of 5,000 feet. Working as a team, you have to shoot me down or else. Or else what, sir? Or else I shoot back. So what's we'll say you put some skin in the game. What do you have in mind? Whoever gets shot down first has to do 200 push-ups. <laughs> Guys, that's a lot of push-ups. Well, uh, they don't call it an exercise for nothing, sir. You got yourself a deal, gentlemen. Fight's on. Let's turn and burn. Fanboy, you see him? Not be on the radar up ahead. He must be somewhere behind us. He was right underneath him the whole time. A sequel to the 1986 fighter jet movie starring Tom Cruise seemed like a weird idea, I'm sure, when we first heard about it. Maybe even sounded like a desperate cash grab for an aging star. And as he has so many times over the course of his career, Tom Cruise proved us wrong. Top Gun Maverick turned out to be a perfect blockbuster, walking the tightrope of nostalgic throwback and modern movie-making magic. The movie, of course, was supposed to come out a couple of years ago, but the pandemic put a stop to that. And they smartly waited out the virus so it could be released in theaters because this would have been a shame to slough off onto a streaming service or something like that. It demanded butts in the seat, and it got them to the tune of nearly $1.2 billion worldwide and climbing, Brett. Yeah, I haven't seen too many new movies this year, and part of me feels like I don't feel the need to see any more new movies <laughs> because I do, however, after seeing this, feel the need for speed. Top Gun Maverick is the most thrilling movie I have ever seen. First off, it's nice to watch a simple, crowd-pleasing movie that isn't trying to subvert your expectations or rewrite the rules of the genre or do some deep, dark character dive. I mean, yes, this is a pretty deep character dive on Maverick. 
as he gets older and starts to realize his time in the cockpit is almost up. And Tom Cruise does some of his finest work ever in this movie. It's just, it's a, it was a bona fide surprise. I thought it would be a cheesy sequel. And yeah, it's cheesy at times, but it owns it. And when it does finally get going with the big mission they're training for, it is the most tense, the most exciting, the most mind-blowing thing I've ever watched on a big screen. I was panting, just panting after the first part of it ended. My heart was pounding for an hour after the movie ended. And when I went back and saw it again, I enjoyed it just as much, if not more. And I'm going to make a bit of a bold prediction here. I will... I will not be surprised if this film not only gets nominated for Best Picture, but wins Best Picture. Uh, wow. may, maybe not, but uh, it's just, it's so rare that you get a crowd pleaser like this that's so successful and just blows everyone away the way that it has. So it, it needs some kind of Oscar recognition beyond Best Sound Mixing and Sound Editing. So there, that's my take. Well, we'll find out how right you are uh, come February or March. I'm looking forward to seeing how that uh, plans out for you. That was your favorite movie of the year. It was my number two movie of the year. My favorite movie of the year so far is the one we really needed the least. No one was asking for a new Batman movie, but we got one starring Robert Pattinson, and it was pretty terrific. The hell are you supposed to be? Matt Reeves' take on the Cape Crusader was to make it even more dark and bleak than any of the other iterations, and most of them have been pretty dark. Where it really differs from Snyder and Affleck's take on Batman is that Reeves opted for a realistic street view kind of Batman as opposed to the more comic booky take. There will be no Martian Manhunter cameo in any sequel that Reeves and Pattinson may do, I don't think. Instead, they went for a noirish detective drama, which was thrilling and somehow earned its three-hour running time. It also had a great ensemble cast starring Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman and Paul Dano as the Riddler, and the Michael Giacchino score was one for the books, I thought. So while I was in no way clamoring for a new Batman movie this year, I am glad we got one because The Batman is one of the best, Brett. All right, so that's a quick look at some of the movies we have liked so far in 2022. As for television, should point out here, some of the shows we mentioned ended up on each of our lists, so we removed most of the duplicates to include more stuff, just for some more variety. So starting at number 10, for me. It's actually something that was on your top 10 last year, Jeff, if memory serves correct. So I suppose this is a huge cheat because most of it aired in 2021 with just a couple episodes airing in 2022. It's a scary world out there. Monsters walk among us. I might still be a monster. Evolving monster. What are you doing? Are you Dexter Morgan? It's me. Your son. Harrison. 
Dexter New Blood. Dexter ran for eight seasons on Showtime in the U.S. and Movie Central, the movie network Crave in Canada. It debuted in 2006, starring Michael C. Hall in the show, adapted from a series of books about a serial killer who kills other killers. He works as a forensic blood spatter analyst for the Miami Police Department, and in his free time, he kills people. It was a fascinating, wonderful show, which unfortunately went on too long and had a terrible conclusion when it wrapped its final season. So I was skeptical when they announced this miniseries, but at the same time was excited to see how they were excited to come back because maybe it would mean a proper send-off for this character I love so much. And it was. It was a great season with a cool story, and I can't think of a better way for it to have ended. Now I can look back on Dexter and say, yep, they finished strong. There is talk of a spin-off. Yeah, they left the door open for more story pertaining to other characters, but just don't. Just don't do it. Leave it as it is. Let it have its legacy. Agreed. Uh, number 10 on my list, the man who brought us Miami Vice in the 80s brought us Tokyo Vice this spring, and the two shows have absolutely nothing in common. Michael Mann helped produce Tokyo Vice, available on Crave, which stars Ansel Elgort as a young American looking to become a journalist in Tokyo and who gets involved in a mob story with a cop played by the great Ken Watanabe. You used to be a crime reporter in Japan. Why? This with information, there is always a cost. Don't write about this. Tokyo Vice also follows an up-and-comer in one of the Yakuza gangs and another American who wants to get out from under the thumb of the underworld, Man Made Heat and The Insider, both top-tier crime and journalism movies, respectively. Here he goes for a mix of both, and I can't wait for season two. And in a moment, the motto from this show starts with strike first. I guess technically it struck last because it came out on December 31st, 2021, but I didn't watch it until the new year. So that's coming up next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We are looking at the best of the year so far for us, our favorite movies, our favorite TV shows. We're now counting down our favorite television shows. Coming in at number nine for me on Netflix, season four of Cobra Kai. Daniel LaRusso. Does it really come down to this? Johnny Lawrence playing second fiddle. I just want what's best for Miguel and all of your students. So now you know what's best for Miguel. Circle around things your whole life. Wait for problems to show up at your doorstep. You cannot strike first with this guy. You just don't want to admit there's always been a little Cobra Kai in you. This show that revisits the world of the Karate Kid just has no business being as good as it is. Season one was terrific. Good comedy, good drama. And even though the Karate Kid himself, Daniel LaRusso, is in the show and is a big part of the show, this was Johnny Lawrence's show, the bad guy from that first Karate Kid movie. So it was brilliant how they took the villain of my childhood and made me like him and feel for him. And we're introduced to a new generation of young karate stars since Johnny and Daniel. Well, they've got kids of their own. Season two was still good, but went off the rails a little bit. Season three, I thought was great. And season four continued to be great. And I think it felt even a bit more grounded in spite of it also being a little more insane. Not sure how much gas is left in the tank for this, though. Season five starts in September, and it looks like there's going to be a sixth season and maybe even a seventh 
I kind of wish they would just call it a day since it's been great, and I just I don't want it to overstay. It's welcome. Number nine on my list, a show that's often on our list, the king of reality shows, Survivor. Next time on the season finale of Survivor. Top five. Yeah, top five. It's going to be a battle royale. You're running around like a banshee? You don't find it, I go. I made a fake idol, see? Jonathan won't be here tomorrow. This challenge is on. I'm fighting for the bitter end. Survivor seasons are often only as good as their casts, and Survivor 42 had a lot of interesting characters, and a couple of them made it all the way to the end, including the winner, Marianne and Mike. Fan favorite Jonathan, a guy who literally looked like Hercules, went deep into the season as well. And most importantly, there weren't a whole lot of people that were despicable or painful to watch. The show also had some fun twists and turns along the way. Some, of course, worked better than others, but there wasn't a lot of gimmicky crap that really ruined things like there sometimes is. Survivor has proven to be one of maybe the most reliably good show on TV of the last 20 years. Can't wait for Survivor 43. I agree. Survivor 42 was excellent. I thought it got off to a slow start. I almost quit, but I stuck with it, and then I just fell in love with this season. The fact that the show continues to just amaze us both is great, And but we're not alone. It's one of Canada's most popular shows when it airs on global TV. Coming in at number eight for me, it's been one of my favorite shows for years, but it's been a while since I've enjoyed it this much. The Amazing Race, specifically season 33 of The Amazing Race, because it, like everything, was dramatically affected by the pandemic, and it led to some dramatic television. In an unprecedented first, the world is dealing with the coronavirus. The race shut down. In order to keep you safe, the best choice is to suspend the race. After 19 months, and with a safe plan in place, teams will restart the race in Switzerland. All right! Welcome back to The Amazing Race. Interrupted. The world was waiting for you, and I am pleased to tell you that the world is waiting for you once again. So they had to halt the race for a year and a half, and the way that it unfolded on TV was quite emotional. And to imagine what it was like for those racers to just have to press pause while they're on the other side of the world, and to also wonder what it was like for them to be so far away from home and far away from your loved ones as the pandemic was just beginning. They were probably terrified. And to see how excited they were to come back, it was pretty special, and it was a rare instance where there really wasn't a team that I hated. I'd have been happy with just about any of them winning. It was the perfect collision of casting and circumstance and the way that they adapted the show and made some changes when they came back to ensure their continued health and safety. I thought it actually kind of tightened up the show a little bit and made it a better show. And by the way, The Amazing Race Canada is back this year. I love this show so much. So far, it's been super fun. Although there actually are some teams I really don't like. That's unusual for the Canadian version. So that's going to help me figure out who to cheer for and who to cheer against. Coming in at number eight for me is a show that's number one for Brett, so we'll hold off on that for now, and we'll move on to my number seven. Forget everything you knew about Jack Reacher from the Tom Cruise movies. The real Reacher is the new Reacher on the Prime Video show, Reacher. Police, don't move! Jack Reacher has deceased, retired army. Bronze star, silver star, and a purple heart. What in God's name is a guy like that doing in Margrave? What's a guy like that doing in jail? Zip ties? Cuffs didn't fit him. You guys recycle. Seven bodies since you set foot in my town. 
I was arrested for murder. Now you want my help? I want you to do what I say. You just go wherever you want, whenever you want. Everyone's always jealous. I'm gonna uncover this whole operation and burn it to the ground. Alan Richson plays the former military police detective Jack Reacher who blows into any town USA to uncover the mystery of his dead brother and uncovers a whole lot more. It's a great detective show with a giant at the center of it and some fun supporting characters too. Not only was the story interesting and well-plotted, the action scenes are fun and a lot of stuff goes down. Uh, it's a rare streaming show that felt like it wasn't trying to jam too much into too little space, nor padding the episodes out because it didn't have enough material. Jack Reacher, or Reacher, the show, was just right, Brett. Yeah, it was super fun. It was super pulpy. The guy that got to play him was perfect. And there is a lot of story they can mine. There are a lot of these Reacher books. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to uh, much more of this. Hopefully they keep it going because I know it was a critically acclaimed show and it was well-received, a big hit for Amazon. So I don't see why we won't get a lot more of Reacher. And hopefully we'll get a lot more of Alan Richson doing other things because I thought he was tremendous in this. I think there's some real range there beyond the, the big hulky band that he plays in this show. In a moment, we are going to talk about a show that was on Disney Plus that had a lot of people saying, why is this on Disney Plus? You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We're counting down our favorites of the year so far. We're talking television shows now at number seven for me. It's a story I not once ever thought I would care about, but wow, am I glad they told it. On Disney Plus, Pam and Tommy. I'm an agent of chaos. I unleash forces of chaos into this world. I want to make you an offer. What do you want? I want to buy the rights to the tape. You can do nothing and watch your tape spread all over the world. Or sell me the rights. It's our love on that tape. We're not selling it. Do you understand what this is doing to me? Yeah, I'm on that tape too. The VHS tape was a fluke. This is a plague. Pam and Tommy is dubbed the greatest love story ever sold. It takes us back to the 90s, where we learn more about the whirlwind romance between Pamela Anderson, the blonde bombshell from Baywatch, and Tommy Lee, the drummer from the legendary rock band Motley Crue. Specifically, this show is about their sex tape, how it gets leaked to the world, and the crippling fallout it had not just on their relationship, but particularly Anderson's life and career. Like, to go back through and see how damaging this was for them, especially Pamela, it's just heartbreaking, because she had asked aspirations of being taken seriously as an actor, but this tape destroyed all of that. No one took her seriously because she was just a sex object and because she is a woman. And the the acting, it's sensational, but also the makeup is insane. Lily James as Pamela and Sebastian Stam as Tommy are magnificent and unrecognizable, particularly Lily James, who is a slender, brunette British woman. And I thought, there's no way, there's no way they're going to make her look like Pamela Anderson, but her makeup is perfect. Her voice and accent is perfect. And the stuff they did with prosthetics to give her more ample, shall we say, proportions was downright shocking. Like, I honestly thought she had breast enhancement surgery just for the role. It's truly incredible. And the show overall, it was just excellent and a tragic story. Highly recommended if you haven't seen it. My number six is one of the most delightful surprises this year. It's the pirate comedy on Crave called Our Flag Means Death. The main joke is that while fearsome... Pirates are also silly and dumb. It stars Reese Darby as an upper-crust Brit who becomes a pirate and befriends Blackbeard, played by Taika Waititi. I'd come to your restaurant. You might not get him. It's going to be very popular. You'd save me a seat, wouldn't you? What night do you want to come? Saturday night. It's a busy night. I'll come on the Monday. Well, I can probably get you. 
what's called Blackbeard's Bar and Grill and other delicacies and really? delights and fishing equipment. The, yeah, but uh, he wants to go to dinner and then you can walk past all this fishing gear that you can buy. Maybe a gift shop out the back. Then you could say, oh, hope you enjoyed your meal. Have you seen the gift shop? Well, they say. Oh, no, thank God. Just come for a nice meal. That's the, oh, they're, now they're angry. No. They're going to leave a bad review. Another guy from the other side of the room might go, oh, I'm into gifts. I'll go and have a look. Oh, yeah, well, that's the guy I'm after. I want him to come. Who's he? That's me. Oh. If you like Takeaway TV or Flight of the Concords, Our Flag Means Death is a must-watch. At number six for me on Amazon Prime Video, season three of the superhero satire, which just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago, The Boys. The whole point of what we do is that no one should have that kind of power. For once, I leveled off playing field. I show people the real me. I mean, they love me. The Boys is a show that flips the superhero genre on its head, reimagining them all as corporate greedy goons and, in many cases, homicidal maniacs. It satirizes the genre, it satirizes Hollywood, corporate greed, politics, and just about everything in between. The acting is terrific. It has some of the best dialogue on television. Nothing is sacred. I will point out it's super violent and, at times, super gory. But if you're looking for something different from a superhero, show check out the boys uh season three was terrific number five for me is barry easily one of the best shows on television it stars bill Hader as an assassin who wants to get out of the game and become an actor which he is terrible at but somehow manages to have some success at as well of course he does keep getting sucked back into the world of assassins and also has to try to keep everyone in his life from finding out his secrets we've both done terrible things in our lives but I believe you can be the version of yourself that you want to be. You tell me it's going to be okay, and that he was right. People can change. Yeah! Barry Berkman did this. Oh my God. Forgiveness has to be earned. Everybody deserves a second chance. I'm like legit nervous. Anyone who watched him on Saturday Night Live knows Bill Hader is hilarious, but Barry proves he has dramatic chops as well. And the fact that he also helps write and direct the shows uh, that he shows that he should have a very bright and long career ahead of him. Number five for me is kind of a hybrid entry because it combines a few things. A couple of TV shows, a YouTube documentary that brought me back some 30 years, and live sports. Talking about basketball. I watched a lot of it this year in various forms. So we'll start with the TV show Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. Monopoly takes strategy, skill, but it also throws in chance. No matter how good you are, bad breaks come. Lately, we've had a few of those. Coach falls off bike. Go back 10 spaces. Banker's up your ass. Pay three million bucks. The thing about luck is, you hold on long enough, eventually it goes your way. They don't get you going, you ain't got a pause.
Winning Time is a 10-episode series from HBO. It aired on Canada in Crave, set when young Magic Johnson is drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers as Jerry Buss takes over as the team owner. Magic Johnson was my favorite basketball player ever. And the Showtime-era Los Angeles Lakers, that's my favorite sports team ever. So this was cool to watch. I loved it. It took a lot of creative liberties, which a lot of people were unhappy about. But overall, I thought it was fantastic. And since Magic was on the brain... And I remembered how much of a Lakers fan I used to be. I found this Dream Team documentary on YouTube. It's about two hours long, and it's terrific. And I suggest you watch it if you were a fan of the Dream Team. They called me Magic. Came out on Apple TV Plus a couple of months back. That's pretty good. And then, of course, basketball. I just was huge into March Madness this year. The NCAA basketball tournament. I haven't paid attention really for years, and it was fun to go back to that. So I'm not going to become this huge sports fan again, but it was cool revisiting something that was once so fond to me and my friends, Jeff. Number four on my list, I have one superhero show on my list this year, and it ain't from the MCU, but rather the DCEU, available on Crave in Canada and HBO Max in the U.S. It's Peacemaker, starring John Cena. Batman has a coterie of supervillains. Joker, Riddler, Mad Hatter. So what? You said you were a superhero like Batman. Do you have a coterie of supervillains? No, he doesn't. So maybe you're not a superhero after all. You want to know why I don't have a coterie of supervillains? Why? My coterie of supervillains is six feet under. There you see, Batman doesn't kill people. He's a jackass who wrestles with murderers dressed like clowns and throws them in prison (laughs) so they can break out of prison and then murder more people. I was just trying to make conversation. Cena's Peacemaker is a bit of a jerk and a hothead. He's also pretty dumb about a lot of things, but when his services are needed, he delivers. The show from James Gunn sees Peacemaker team up with some other oddballs, and besides being action-packed and hilarious, was also quite emotional and genuinely moving at times, which was unexpected. And of course, it has the best title sequence in several years, as the cast does a choreographed dance to the theme song. I also loved Peacemaker. Jeff had it a little bit higher in his top 10, but we were both nuts over that show. And in a moment, we shall conclude the best of 2022 so far. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We're counting down our favorites of 2022 so far. We're talking television now at number four for me. One of the most emotionally satisfying experiences I didn't know I needed on Disney Plus, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Have you come to destroy me, Obi-Wan? I will do what I must. Then you will die. Six episode miniseries set 10 years after the events of episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. The Jedi Knight Obi-Wan Kenobi is in hiding on Tatooine, watching over young Luke Skywalker, while Luke's sister Princess Leia seems to be doing just fine, bossing everyone around over on Alderaan, until something happens to her and Obi-Wan is called back into action to help. And not only is he sort of down on the dumps and and kind of a broken man who's lost his way with the Force, but now he has, as he goes back into the fray, he has to face off against his old pupil, his old brother as arms, his old friend, Anakin Skywalker, as Darth Vader. And when they have their big climactic duel at the end, it is amazing. One of the best fight scenes, one of the best things I think we've seen in any 
Star Wars show. It's not a perfect show, but that payoff was huge for me, Jeff. The second season is just a few episodes in, but already proving the terrific first season of Only Murders in the Building on Disney Plus wasn't a fluke. It's my number three so far this year. Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez reprise their roles as New York City neighbors who begin a podcast as they investigate murders in their building. New York City. Who doesn't want to become the talk of the town here? We've been warned not to speak out. But we here at Only Murders in the Building... We will not be going quietly. We know what we have to do. Just be cool. Hey, who's cooler than me? Everyone. This season, they're the prime suspects after another neighbor dies, and the show, which was my favorite of all last year, has only gotten better. It seems to be following a little more, flowing rather a little more seamlessly this year. It's a great mix of comedy, some drama, and of course, a murder mystery. Couldn't ask for anything better. At number three for 2022 so far for me, Ozark. I'm just sick of having blood on my hands, Wendy. It doesn't bother you. You're so desperate to be the good guy. She's lost her whole family because she met us. The Netflix series enjoyed its fourth and final season this year about a family thrust into a nefarious situation. And not only do they survive it, they thrive in it. The first season was good. Second season was okay. Season three was really good. And this final season was excellent. And as far as endings go, I think this is about as perfect an ending as this show could have possibly have had. I thought it was a brave ending, kind of abrupt. But once I just took a minute to think about it, I thought, yeah, way to go, Ozark. You stuck the landing. Four seasons, in and out, done. It's a solid crime drama. At number two for both of us, actually, it's Better Call Saul. You have a piece missing. I, I thought you did it for the money, but now it's, it's so clear. Screw the money. You did it for fun. You're, you're like Leopold and Loeb, two sociopaths. All right, that's enough. Oh, you know it's true. You just have the guts to admit it. Great. Now you need to go. I'm going to make it clear to everyone because I'm going to dedicate my life to making sure that everybody knows the truth. Believe it. You can't hide who you really are forever. Better Call Saul has been on both of our lists for years, and before that, of course, Breaking Bad was on our list. But it's a bummer that this will be the last year we can put it on a list, as it's now just a few weeks away from ending forever. Like Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul is one of those extremely rare shows that just keeps getting better and better all the way until the end. Usually a show will either start strong and then have nowhere to go, or build to something great but then stick around too long and turn sour before it ends. Not the case with Saul, and I'm sure we'll have much more to say in a couple of weeks when it's all wrapped up. And now on to our number one shows. For me, The Wire creator David Simon delivered another searing, depressing look at police corruption in Baltimore with what is so far my favorite show of the year. It's HBO's We Own This City. It stalls John Bernthal as Wayne Jenkins, an incredibly corrupt and delusional cop trying to keep his head above water. I didn't plant those drugs on Umar Burley. That wasn't me. No, 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 no. Hang on. I know who did that. I know who did it. And maybe you're right. You know something? Maybe the fact that I knew that information, I didn't report it at the time. Maybe I was wrong there. So you got me. I'm guilty. Hey, you win. But the bottom line is I did not plant those drugs on Umar Burley. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. For the sake of argument, you want to tell us who did? I do not feel like telling you that right now. 
but I do know for a fact that it was not Wayne Jenkins who planned those drugs. That's what matters here. We Own This City has a huge ensemble cast, including many of the actors that were in The Wire. And like its predecessor, it's incredibly well-written, plotted, directed, and acted, implausibly turning tough material that on its own would be hard to digest and understand into moving entertainment that strikes a powerful chord with the audience. Another miracle of a show from David Simon. I highly recommend We Own This City, my favorite show so far this year. Now, we skipped over my number eight show, Brett, because my number eight is your number one. That's right. Here we go. Maybe no surprise if you heard last week's episode or a couple weeks ago where we spoke at length about Stranger Things 4. Not only was this fourth season of the Netflix mega hit a significant improvement on its previous two seasons, it was just simply excellent television all around. The series set in the 80s in Indiana about a bunch of kids who take on supernatural forces. This season has everything. It's got action, adventure, science fiction, mystery, horror, romance, comedy, and of course, the celebration of friendship. All the episodes are longer than your typical TV show as well, including the final two, which are more like movies, coming in at 90 minutes and two and a half hours. It's got mind-blowing visuals thanks to a big, big budget, but in spite of its huge visual scope, never loses sight of its characters, and every character in the show's large cast gets to shine. Every character is important, and it's clear they all need each other through the varying storylines they are set that are set in different parts of the world. It opens the door also for what should be, hopefully, an explosive fifth and final season. Your friends have lost. And that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. You can find that wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Or, of course, you can continue to listen to this show on the radio. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.